Welcome to Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. What does it take to lead yourself and your teams to high performance with ease? Today, you'll discover simple practices that separate exceptional leaders from the rest. Now, here is your host, Nicole Bendeley. Hi there, I'm Nicole Bendeley. Welcome to this episode of Leading on Purpose. I am so excited to get into this conversation with my guest and friend, best-selling author, Frank Zakari. I am so excited. I'm not going to even do a preamble. I'm just going to jump right into introducing Frank because I want to really devour his best-selling book, Business Secrets for Walking on Water, which I've already devoured, but I want you all to experience some of the amazing insights that Frank brings um, to entrepreneurs and business leaders who truly want to achieve unbelievable success and make a difference at the same time um, through their work. So let me introduce you to Frank. Frank is a best-selling author who's written six books based on life-altering events. Business Secrets for Walking on Water is the first of a three-book series. As an accomplished speaker, Frank teaches aspiring entrepreneurs at Arizona State University, is a mentor with the Veterans Treatment Court, and a mentor with and judge with the University of California Entrepreneurship Academy. His international Voice America show, Life-Altering Events, recently moved to Roku TV and has 220,000 listeners in 42 countries. Okay, that's a hashtag goal for me there, Frank. <laughs> Congratulations with that. With 30 years of expert experience as a successful executive, author, and entrepreneur, Frank teaches aspiring entrepreneurs and leader to, leaders to uncover hidden opportunities, find solutions to professional and personal challenges, and build high-performing teams. Thank you, Frank. I'm thrilled to have you. So listen, before we jump into things, I want our listeners to know... You and I met when? A few years ago in San Diego at a Vistage yes. event, yeah? Yes, yes, we did. And we immediately connected around our common goal of really helping people and businesses to achieve phenomenal success in life and work with ease, right? And to, to, to remove that struggle for people. Absolutely. That was uh, that was quite an adventure down in San Diego because we went for an entirely different objective. Yeah. And uh, we got back and neither one of them pursued that objective. But um, we stayed uh, we stayed close and stayed friends. And I have tremendous respect for what you do in the books that you've written and how you put together uh, your programs. And congratulations on your new role that uh, you just uh, accomplished. Thank you. Thanks, Frank. Well, right back at you. I, I consider you a role model, which is, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you back on this show, because I certainly learned a lot from you and I know our listeners will. And so I want to start by congratulating you on becoming your book, hitting number one on the new, you know, on being a new book, a new release on Amazon. So congratulations. That's a huge feat. Um, and I'm, I'm thrilled for you. So, so let's start there, Frank. So, you know, tell us a little bit about um, your background and the purpose of your new book and what motivated you to, to write it, especially at this time in the world, this time that we're experiencing. Sure. 
Sure. My background, uh, people are shocked. I mean, every English teacher I ever had, every professor I ever had is, is probably spinning in the grave if they're still alive, knowing that, first off, I wrote a book and number one, that it became a bestseller. <laughs> it's uh, it, was, it was nothing I ever aspired to do. I just never thought it would ever occur. And I came up uh, through Western New York and I was in the military at a, at a fairly young age near the end of the Vietnam War. And one of the things that uh, that I learned as a young person in the military, they give you responsibility very quickly. So all of a sudden you have like you have a management role and you're 20 years old, right? And you learn you have to learn in the service how to get around obstacles. Because there's a rule for everything. And if you follow the rules to the letter, nothing gets accomplished. So how do you maneuver around the, the obstacles are going to be in front of you without breaking any laws or breaking any ethical barriers and still get the job done. So I did that and kind of the military and finished school. And then I started in the high tech sector, which, uh, again, I knew absolutely nothing about. It just, where would this come from? So I, uh, I thought I'd do it for two, three years and get in finance, which was my degree. It was in finance. And then 27 years later, I was the CEO of two high tech companies up in the Seattle area. So it was a long two years of staying in there. And along the way, we had a lot of success and a lot of failures. And most of the time, I would keep notes throughout, throughout my professional career. This worked, this didn't work. This kind of leader inspired people and got results. This kind of leader you don't want to be. Right. Um, one of the people told me, Zig Ziglar, who was in, when I was at NCR, he was a vice president at NCR when I oh, was there. Oh, yeah. Wow. Right? Now, he didn't do anything with the computer side. He just went around and gave talks. Yeah. But he, anytime when you're in a, a, a leadership training program, you're moving up the ladder, they would bring him in to talk. And so one of the things he said, um, I had to get up and do a pitch on whatever the product was. I get done. And, and as we're walking away, he comes up, he puts his arm around me and he says, you speak very well. But I'm going to tell you something, Frank. I'm going to forget all the facts and figures you told me before I walk out of the room. He said, you, you need stories. People remember stories. So, Put a story around the fact and the figure that you want to get across, and you'll be much more effective and efficient. So I took that to heart. And then as I was going through my life, I'd say, okay, here's this is what we did. This is how it was successful. This is the result that came about. And I learned more from things that didn't go well. I mean, I learned a lot more from things that didn't go well. And then you go back in and say, well, what could we have done different? And then when I, I had to leave the high tech for family related reasons, as you know, and I got into, uh, I bought an insurance agency. Now, when you go from high tech, and I said this to everybody, when you go from high tech, a very proactive industry to insurance, a very reactive industry, it's like dying and going to hell. Mm-hmm. But it was a means to an end. I had custody of my children, so I had to be there to take care of that. And then I saw another set of businesses, you know, smaller businesses, entrepreneurial style businesses, not major corporations. And what I saw, Nicole, is, is, can you teach this yourself? So many people don't know what they don't know, number one. And they either don't know or are, are, are incapable or unwilling to go get the necessary help to fill in the gaps. Right. And that's what sort of led to this book, Secret to Walking on Water, is to know where the rocks are. And so as we started, uh, I met with Kat Cannabis, who was the uh, publisher, and she said, Frank, you have so many stories. You interviewed so many people on Voice America. I mean, 69 episodes and 50 on TV. Pull those stories out and let's make this into something of value. 
And so it came down to, all right, here are experts. You're in the book. I refer to you several times. I appreciated times. that. Absolutely. Uh, other experts in mindfulness and experts in growth and experts in uh, culture. And I went to them and said, all right, here's a situation. What should be done? How could this be better? And it's not be to belittle anybody. It's simply to say, as business owners, we tend to overextend. We, we have a really good idea and we're really good at one thing. And then we try to run a business off of that. And then we start to juggle too many balls and all the balls hit the ground. And, and then we get frustrated and 50% of businesses fail within three years anyway. So if you're following that pattern, this is the thing that sort of blew me away when I started working with the University of California Entrepreneurship Academy. Brilliant, brilliant minds. When they talk about the science they're doing, I had no idea what they were talking about. But what I did know is nobody cares. Yes, it's wonderful science, but what value is it providing to the world? And why would anybody want to buy it? Right. And so there's this, I've got these great ideas, but I don't know how to take them from the laboratory or the, or the, or the research lab into the market sector. And that's where having these, these set of contacts come into play. Who do I know? Instead of how am I going to do this? Someone told me that, and I love that statement one time. I said, Frank, back in when I was coming up, he said, you're spending too much time on how. Stop worrying about how. Start thinking about who. Who can I get to do this? Who can help me? That. The how will work itself out. And then listening to Steve Jobs when I was in the tech world, and we used to test stuff for him, he would say, you know, like I, I hire really smart people, and I would be a moron if I told them exactly what I wanted them to do. This is right. where we want to go, but let them do what they need to do and how they can get it done. And so over the course of my life, I've met some some amazing people. And uh, then Jay Abraham came into the fold, and and we started putting this idea of, of the tag team in place, which is an organization that originally we were going to work with people coming out of colleges, out of the, out of the schools. And then we quickly discovered that they already think they're the smartest people in the world. And they're not going to listen, and they're all afraid you're going to take over my company. So we, we sort of pivoted a little bit. And now we're looking to for organizations who, who have had some success and maybe have plateaued, or we see an idea that we don't think is being done or being done well, and we're going to start it ourselves. Mm. So we've got two, uh, two programs on the, on the burner Right now that uh, we were a little bit of luck here, we'll have it launched before the end of the year. Wonderful. Well, congratulations. You're doing some really great, important work. You know, there was a quote, I've got to pull it up here, uh, from Jay Abrams in the book that I love that sort of speaks to what you're just talking about. Um, You will find that in order to be successful, you have to first want to make other people successful. When you make everyone's life better, your life automatically opens up and expands monstrously. And that's, you know, aligned with what you're doing with the tag team, right? You're, you're finding and helping organizations to achieve greater success than they could do on their own, right? And, and you're contributing to your own, but you're focused on helping others succeed. And that's the sign of a true leader, um, which I want to get to as well when we talk about servant leadership a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious, you know, one of the things I loved, I really loved about, about your book, um, Frank, was that, you know, you focus on both the personal and business, 
right? And you say, and you can't separate. I mean, we know, especially if it's if it wasn't clear before, it's clear now, <laughs> right? Yes. The interconnectedness of work and personal life. They are not and cannot be separate, right? And in truly high-performing organizations, we want people to bring their whole selves to work, not their work hat, their whole self, human being, not human doing in the title that we wear. So in your book, you talk about business and family life are like a marriage, either in heaven or in hell. So (laughs) talk to us a little bit about that. What do you mean by that? What I mean is, you, you, as you said, you cannot separate the two. If you are struggling professionally, it's going to impact your home life. And if your home life is struggling, then it's going to impact your professional life. And you can play the game and figure, you know, I, I can do it. I can do it. Now, when I came up, the way it was done was, especially the personal life will take care of itself. You know, do the professional, do what it takes, put in the time, put in the end, do the travel, all the whole thing. And your family life will be great because you're a good provider and you're making a good living and your family has got things that you probably never had, right? And so you focused on that. And that was what the way it was. Then you fight and claw and scratch and you try to get to the top of the mountain. And if you do get lucky and you get to the top of the mountain and you're I'm excited, I was so excited, a CEO of two companies and I take the flag and I put it in the top of the mountain and I, I God, I made it. And I turn around and my wife had left and I had uh, custody of my daughters. So you get to the top of the hill, and I've said this so many times, that no title and no amount of money and no job is worth a shattered life. And so now you're picking up the pieces, and now you're because your personal life is in a disaster, your, 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 personal, your professional life is going to suffer. It, it just is. The other thing we found with that is, leaders finally coming to the realization, I've heard you say this many times, you, the whole person has got to be there and you're going to have to recognize emotion. And for a lot of years, like when I met you, one of the things I said, in the, one of those vistage things was, I don't do the touchy-feely thing, right? You know, I just, I don't have time for that. I'm, I'm handling this organization. And then my life explodes and I feel, okay, well, yeah, emotions come with the individual. You can't leave them outside the door. They're going to come in the room with you. And unless you become more human-centric and more um, uh, uh, recognizing the emotions and recognizing where people are coming from, start bringing in critical thinking into the equation, you're not going to make it. You're not going to succeed. So the family life and the, and the professional life are, are linked together and as I said, it could be it could be a marriage made in heaven, or it could be a marriage made in hell. And if you ignore one for the other, and I think we put in the book, here's some of some of the issues from the personal side. Here's a lot of the business related things, but here's the personal side. Like be present. Coming home, being present. Go to work at whatever time, work like hell till this time, go home and be present. I didn't do that. My mind was always with what I needed to do and what's next and what this next deal is going to be. And even though I was physically there, I wasn't, I wasn't there. I wasn't engaged. And your life can go on for just so long and you can make a lot of money and your family can be happy and they're doing what they're doing and they got all the niceties. But at the end of the day, you really don't have a life. You're a spectator. You're not a participant in your life. And that is what 
takes the legs out of so many organizations because now your mind is split. And, well, how do I make my, my family life better? And what do I need to do here? And, and then the professional life starts to suffer. So you put in more time and more energy and then both spiral out of control. And we've always heard about work-life balance. And we've heard that term forever and ever. And in corporate America, that's nonsense because they will take every ounce that you allow them to take. And that I had to learn the hard way was I allowed it to occur. Mm. Okay. If you're willing to give it, they will take it. They will take every ounce of your life, but you must allow it to occur. And then getting ahead, there's got to be some limits and guidelines and you're going to have to set some boundaries and, and I'm not going to cross some certain lines and I can still be incredibly successful. You don't have to be there for every single thing. You hire, as I said in the beginning, hire good people. Or if you can't hire them, contract with them. Really good people who are better than you are in whatever sector you, you either lousy at or you don't want to do and let them do what they do. And when I finally, finally two by four between the eyes hit me, it was, okay, Frank, wake up. You know this. You just haven't been implementing it. So let's get on the ball here and pick up the pieces and start moving forward. I love that. You're right. It's a choice of what you allow, right? It's everything in life is a choice. If you look at your life and the results that have created or the experiences that you've had or have created, they all are the sum of the choices, whether it's the smallest choice or the biggest decisions in your lives, but they come down to small choices. Goes back to that book, The Five Second Rule, right? You, yes. you, you interviewed um, the Mel, author, Mel, right? Mel yes. Um, Mel Robbins, exactly. It's all the little things we do, and it is about choice and, and creating boundaries around what we value most in our lives. But if we're not clear with what we value, we can't decide what must take priority. And you identify some of those core things in your book. So I want to come back to that on the other side of break. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. One of the many things this past year made clear is that the world of work has been forever changed. And it is especially evident in the way leaders must now lead if they want the best from their people. At the Waterstone Culture Institute, we provide leaders with the tools and practices most essential to high-performing teams and cultures. Discover the three things the most effective leaders will do in 2021 with our free webinar. Visit waterstonehc.com slash culturewebinar and watch it today. It's time to serve, learn, change the world. Tune in each week for the power of young people to change the world. Hosted by NYLC's CEO, Amy Muirs. The program is a forum for both young people and the adults who love and support them. We make connections with others through stories of change, partnership, and new perspectives of issues facing the world today. Be sure to join us every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time or anytime on demand on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. The Lord Jesus Christ presents a doctrine through the Apostle Paul for us so that we might teach the word to others. Hear and interpret these words of wisdom each week on the radio program, Why Paul? 
with hosts Michael and Michelle Mix, David Reed, and Pamela Lampton through their ministry, 14th Street Ministries. Michael, Michelle, and Pamela are dedicated to sharing these words with you so that you might pass it along to others. Listen every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time and 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are tuned into Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. Discover more about Nicole and how the team at Waterstone Human Capital helps leaders to build high-performance teams and cultures at waterstonehc.com. Now, back to Leading on Purpose. All right. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Frank Sakari. Hey, Frank, can you let everybody know where they can find your book and learn more about Tag Team? Sure, sure. Right now, the book is on Amazon, and it's in Kindle format, and it's also in uh, uh, hard copy format. And we had introductory prices when we first released it. So the introductory price for the hard copy is still in effect, and it'll probably be in effect until tomorrow when they take they take it off. So if you haven't got it, get it. And it will be also on Ingram. That'll be the next step in the distribution process. It'll be posted with Ingram, and then Ingram puts it in libraries and puts it in bookstores and and uh, you got to love it. Ingram sort of sits back and says, well, put it out on Amazon. And we'll see if you're successful. <laughs> and if it's any good, then we'll talk. <laughs> well, they're talking to you now, Frank. They're talking yeah. to you now. Yeah, finally. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Oh, thanks for that. So, you know, we were talking about, you know, recognizing what people value most, right? And, and in order to set boundaries and to have clear goals and to stay committed to them, we need to understand you know, as individual people, what we value um, most in our lives and in at work. And so this leads me to my next question is, you know, how do you see business changing post-COVID? Because we've all had maybe too much time to reflect, but certainly much needed time, I would say, to reflect. So will there be more or less opportunity for you know, corporate and entrepreneurial success? And what's the impact of this sort of reflection time people have had on businesses? Well, as bad as COVID has been and was and is, I'm excited. I think it's opened up so many opportunities because so many people sat back and said, what really matters here? I'm traveling, commuting an hour. If you live in Southern California, I've commuted an hour each way to work. And I mean, I work for 10 hours. I'm spending 12 hours a day doing something I don't like. Now, what is it worth? What What's my passion? What do I really want to do? And it's opening up people looking at the different, different set of lenses. Do I, want to, do I even want to go back to where I was? What else can I do? What other skills do I have? What value do I bring to, my, to the world? I just read a report, Nicole, Prudential Financial Systems uh, paid for this report. It was the, the status of the American worker, but I think it could be a worldwide worker. And, and the result was 26% of workers plan on leaving the job they're in now as this COVID thing settles. 26%. That's more than one in four people are not happy. So from a, from a professional perspective, if you're a leader or you aspire to be a leader, you better pay attention here and you better st start putting into place training programs like you have, Nicole, and how do I put a team together and how are we going to collaborate? And those things are going to become critical. How do I get critical thinking in there? How do I recognize the emotions of individuals 
and start to to meet meet them where they are. The change in leadership that I see coming, which is really exciting, is stop taking great individual uh, um, contributors and saying, because you're a great engineer, now you're going to be the engineering manager. They don't want to be an engineering manager. Uh, In the book, uh, my cousin Tom Crea wrote about servant leadership. He said that uh, his statement was something in the neighborhood of 84% of of new managers fail within, within 18 months because they fail to build relationships. Mm -hmm. And so now leadership is not about do it because I said so. Uh, Dr. Edward Hess, who I interviewed, he said, content management was the old power system. I know more than you, therefore I'm more important than you. I make more than you and you do what I tell you to do because I know more than you. Okay, well, data is coming in so fast that you can't possibly know everything anymore. And so now it's going to have to be this more humanistic model, more human uh, relying up you learn it, then unlearn it, and then relearn something new. Now for employees, the beauty of this is you have opportunities to make yourself like an entrepreneur, right? Franny Duran, Franny Matthews now, she's a, she worked with me and she worked for me many, many years ago. And she's the head of the Colorado Technology Association. And I put a little story in there about her and her daughter. Her daughter's got a degree in analytics. And her daughter calls her up or sends her a text and says, mom, I need to talk to you, I need some advice, right? And if you're a parent with children over 20, anytime they want to talk to you and they want advice, right, you, jump should, on it. you feel needed again, right? <laughs> so... She calls her up and she says, you know, mom, um, uh, the job that I'm doing, I can create a bot to do it. But then there's no need for me. And I'll basically end my own job. So what should I do? And Franny, to her credit, said, you go to your manager and you tell them, I can do this. I can make this more efficient, more effective. I can put this together. And not only will you not lose your job, but you will become considered much more valuable employee. That's what the beauty of where we're going into leaders who understand that and create that culture, as I've heard you say more times than I can remember, Nicole, you create that safe psychological culture where people feel comfortable bringing an idea to you, even if it's off the wall or maybe a little bit different. Okay. That's okay. Maybe you can't implement it now and you can tell them why, but in Franny's daughter's case, she got a promotion. Because she's looking at, at things the way an owner would look at things. And that That's makes it. you more valuable. And so many people that I work with coming up, so, well, I'm just an employee. It's not my job to think. It's not my job to do this. Well, you're not going to go anywhere. And the more you continue to have that attitude, you're going to continue to be complaining. And, well, technology took away my position. Well, technology takes away the repetitive, predictable things. It doesn't take away the critical thinking. It doesn't take away people who think and look for solutions that aren't there at the moment. Let's do it a little bit different. Let's see where the, where, where the results come from. And that's where all the innovation is. And I, I forgot who told me this, but they said innovation comes bottom up. It does I not read that. I wrote that down from your book, right? The, you know, I wanted to talk also down the road around imagination versus in, in um, 
intellect, intelligence, intelligence, yes. right? And innovation does come from the bottom up, but only you can only tap into that if you have that culture of accountability that you were talking about, that ownership mindset that, you know, I am responsible for and committed to the success of the organization, regardless of my title. And I feel an ownership of it. That's when you get the innovation from the bottom up. Absolutely. And what I see with uh, some organizations, they like we call them the, the new breed of entrepreneur or the new breed of designer. I like that term better. And the, these new designers, they, they're, they're like the Bruno Mars' new song or his hit song, not new anymore. They don't believe me, just watch. Right. And they say, I see what you're doing, but I don't think, what if we did this instead? And if you create an environment where they're willing to try that, Mm-hmm. And it may not be absolutely perfect on, on the first shot because it never is, but at least now you've got more collaboration and people coming in and saying, hey, let's let's leverage off this and let's put these two things together. And they don't look as – when I was growing up, if something didn't go well, it's a failure. You failed. and it's a big red mark next to your name. Now that's not – if you're going to succeed, that's not going to be the case. You have to say, well, what did we learn from that and what can we take forward from that? You know, 3M came up with a post-it note. It was a classic failure for what they were trying to put together. But it changed the world. And then there's other organizations like Kodak, where I grew up in Western New York near Rochester. And Kodak, (laughs) Kodak engineer, designed the digital camera in 1976 before anybody even had a a clue of what the heck it was. And they just kept it down because it would interfere with with their film business. And then by the time Kodak said, oh, wait a minute, we're getting, we're getting stomped on here. It was too late. They didn't, they didn't go away. But now when I was back home in New York and I went to see my brother in Rochester, all these Kodak buildings coming down. And that was, that was the, the, the lifeblood of that whole entire community revolved around Kodak and providing services and, and the things that a big organization needs. And they basically crippled the Rochester economy. And to me, that's a capital sin. If you're an organization and you are not participating as a community member, mm-hmm. that's really important. I think that's a big shift that's coming because in the 1970s, I remember here when Milton Friedman said the purpose of a corporation is to make profit for their shareholders. And that's the only thing. And there is no social consciousness. And even back then, as Neil Young, I said, no, that's not that's wrong. That's not it. It is personal. Don't tell me it's business. It's not. It is personal because you're talking about people and their family and their lives. And you hired them and you gave them a role. Not the end of maybe going to lifetime employment anymore, but you gave them and you laid out an opportunity for them. Now it's up to you to make sure you follow through on that. Not use them as expendable assets. No, and and social impact, as you said, right? So we know, for example, through the Waterstones. Um, Canada's most admired awards program. The the best performing, the high performing cultures, the best cultures in companies in Canada um, are have a huge focus on social impact because they know that their consumers, not just their people, which is essential, care. And they're going to be more discerning now as to which organization they choose to be a part of. Um, and ensure that that organization is contributing positively to the world and their community. But consumers are looking at that too and making choice based on that company's social impact, environmental sustainability, 
how they contribute to making the world and their communities a better place. Absolutely, those purpose, value-driven organizations are the ones that are rising to the top. It's no longer, like you said, profit only. And the, there's now the, the B Corp, I believe that is the correct term. And and more and more companies, this whole process you have to go through to become a B Corp. But you have to look at, uh, you have to make money, you have to be profitable, or, or you don't exist. But you also have to look out for people and have programs for people and training for people, and then also care about the world as a whole. Now, training, I love, I love that topic because when I came up, training was, okay, you're going to go away for two days, you're going to stick a fire hose in your mouth, and then you're going to come home with five manuals, which you're never going to open. Right. So training somebody and then bringing them back to a culture and or environment that isn't changing is a total waste. And so many business leaders, when I was coming up, would say, well, well Frank, we sent you to training. And I said, yeah, but I came back to the same toxic environment. Right. Nothing's going to change. So if you're going to do a change like you like you do, Nicole, it's across the board. Mm-hmm. And if you're the leader of the organization and you are not saying the words and following up on it, you're not going to succeed. One of the things I found, because I took over failing companies for many years, and um, we would meet with every, all the employees at one-on-one and would tell them, um, tell me the good, the bad, and the ugly. Right. So the bad and the ugly came out fast. And then I would say, what would you do to make it better? And then a lot of times there was this deer in the head, like, like, like oh, my God, no one's ever asked me that before. Right. And so well, I'm asking you, I'm asking you, I want to know. And then, oh, I think X. Okay, well, then go do X. All right. Now, I was shocked the first time we did that because they took ownership of this. Now, this is mine. You know, Frank gave this to me to make it right, make it good. Not Frank told me, do this, this, and this. And the the organizations all rose. And even people who were, when I came in, they would say, well, this guy's a malingerer and this person is a waste of time. But when you take the time, as you've said, Nicole, to get to know these individuals and get to understand what motivates them, and you say, all right, go forward and do it. I was, it was never... I was always amazed at how much better everyone became because now they had ownership and they would be defending, not arguing, defending, but defending the position that they were in. And then someone else would say, hey, you know, I like what you're doing, but if, if we added this step into it or remove or we remove this step out of this process, look how much more efficient we would be. And it was, it was always exciting. I, I, I used to be back then, I couldn't wait to get up in the morning to go to work because we were, we were doing things that weren't being done before. Right. And it's fun and it's exciting. Well, doing things that have never been done before. So I want to build on that. In your book, you talk about the difference between, you know, best practice and next practice, right? And in that so many organizations hold on to the status quo because this is the best practice. And so talk to talk to us a little bit about the difference between and the need for shifting to a next practice state of mind. Right. Well, best practice is a point in time. It's not gospel and it's not written in stone and it should always be challenged. Always. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, so many organizations, this is what we do. This is why we do it. And this is how it is. So don't talk to me. Just do what I tell you to do. 
And in the book, we have a number of companies who followed best practice all the way to extinction. That's right. Because they are not willing to move. And one of the things that Darwin gets misquoted is survival of the fittest. Well, that's not the case. It's survival of those who can adapt. And if you're not adapting, you're not going to make it. So the company, and you don't have to be first. Starbucks didn't invent coffee shops. Google didn't invent search engines. Amazon didn't invent delivery, online delivery systems. They didn't. They just made them better. Mm-hmm. And they saw something that wasn't being done well, and they were able to create a solution and then expand that market. So that's right. the, the other thing. You get a great idea, but only five people like it. So what? You know, can five million people like it? How do you expand this market sector? And that makes a big, big difference. And if you're not looking for best practice, somebody else will. They're going to find it. Blockbuster is a great example. Yes, Blockbuster. I still, I have, I miss, I have to tell you, I miss Blockbuster. (laughs) I miss somebody out there can create, recreate that experience going somewhere with, you know, a date or a friend or just your kids or a partner and looking at the movies and hoping they still have one in stock. I mean, that is nostalgic for me. Um, and, uh, so anyway, you bring up Blockbuster and I take everything aside, but, um, <laughs> um, there's something to be said for the old school way of doing things at times. Um, but certainly, you know, Blockbuster, Kodak, even, you know, the old Swiss, Swiss watches. And, um, there are so many industries even, you know, Airbnb and the shared economy and, and Uber and everything, all of those disruptors um, for us to learn from. And so what I'd love to explore when we come back from break is, you know, given all of this, given, you know, it can feel so overwhelming in particular for entrepreneurs who are taking a big risk, right, to start a business and, they're, like you said, really good at, at something. They've got this idea, but now we're saying, well, you have to be this amazing leader and think about all of these things and your culture and this and that. So when we come back for break, I'd love to explore what are the like one or two most essential pieces that entrepreneurs and CEOs need to get right out of the gate. Okay, so we'll be back. Stay tuned. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. One of the many things this past year made clear is that the world of work has been forever changed, and it is especially evident in the way leaders must now lead if they want the best from their people. At the Waterstone Culture Institute, we provide leaders with the tools and practices most essential to high-performing teams and cultures. Discover the three things the most effective leaders will do in 2021 with our free webinar. Visit waterstonehc.com slash culturewebinar and watch it today. Things Worth Considering, featuring host Gord Riddell and Alexia Georgiousis, 
is a program that's all about connections. The connections we make with our families, our workplaces, friends, and others around us. It's also about connections to ourself, spirit, feelings, and stories. Let us connect with you each week to explore who we are and what we can be moving forward. We can overcome the obstacles that stand in our way. Things worth considering. Airs live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. The White House doctor makes house calls. Listen every week for House Calls with Dr. Connie Mariano. Dr. Connie has served as the White House physician under three U.S. presidents. Now she joins the Voice America Empowerment Channel to help you enrich yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Our guests will include professionals from a variety of fields who will bring you tips that you can apply to your own life. Listen for House Calls with Dr. Connie every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are tuned into Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. Discover more about Nicole and how the team at Waterstone Human Capital helps leaders to build high-performance teams and cultures at waterstonehc.com. Now, back to Leading on Purpose. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. All right, Frank, I want to help Let's help remove some of the overwhelm that that leaders, in particular entrepreneurs, might be feeling in launching and growing a business. So from your experience, you know, what are the most important, and you share a lot, you know, all of those business secrets in your books, right? And in your book and knowing where the rocks are. So what are some of those secrets or rocks that are table stakes that are essential for leaders to really focus on? The first thing and, and the most important rock is to what we talked about earlier. Who am I going to surround myself with? That's the most important thing. And one of the things I see with new businesses, particularly coming out of the universities, is they surround themselves with good people, professors and frat brothers and family. And they're nice to people, but they've never been there and they've never done that. So it's, and then they go out and they hire people. Okay, well, as you know, and I know, your first set of hires never last anyway. It just never works because they came in with one set of expectations. So you don't have to hire everybody, but you need to bring in people who have the expertise and the knowledge to fill in the holes. And then you start getting the ball rolling. And then once that project is done, then those advisor consultants can go away and you didn't have to hire them. But if you need them to come back, they can come back and you can pick up the pieces from where you were. You don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. And the second problem that I see is an absolute is you have to stop hiring to a job specification. Hmm. I mean, how many times do we see uh, uh, ads for you must know this product and, and Salesforce and this and that? And I've talked to so many people and said, well, what, why do you need? Why do they need to know that coming in the door? And so that's what they have to do on the job. And I said, well, you can teach them that. Don't you want to have people who have integrity mm-hmm. and who are persistent and who collaborate and who are willing to do whatever it takes to get things done and who are willing to think outside the box? I hate that term, but think outside the established procedure. Those are the people you should be hiring. And that's the, the, the profiling that you should be doing. Most people don't do that. Mm-hmm. They still go back to the old tried and true method. 
And I, I hear this so many times in the call. And I say, well, this, here again, here's the best practice. Here's the best practice for this. Okay, well, the best practice in as far as starting a business is you get this idea and you hire some good people and you do a little bit of research and you jump in and 50% of you are going to fail within three years. 80% are going to fail in five. And 70% of SBA loans in the United States, small business administration loans, are rejected. Wow. So if you're following the established best practice, you are following a pattern of failure. Hmm. So why don't we try something different? Let's look at a different way to get you from launch to where it is you want to be. Third big problem is they don't know what they don't know and they don't ask for what they need. We hear so many cases of, I talk to so many companies, how much do you need to launch this business? And one group said, it's in the energy sector. And he said, well, we need $600,000. And I said, okay, what are you going to do in three months when you're out of money? And he went, what do you mean? I said, 600000 in the field that you're in, what are you going like that? So now what? You go back and ask for more funds? Well, yeah. And then you give up more of your company when you go back and ask for more funds. Why don't you ask for what you need? You need $10 million? Say, I need $10 million. And they said, well, I don't want to give up my, that much of my business. There's this pride of ownership. You know, it's mine. It's my child. I'm not going to let it go. And we said to so many people, well, look, right now you have a good idea and you have 100% of zero. Now, if you can parlay this into a $100 million, $50 million company and you had 60% of it, isn't 60% worth a hell of a lot more than 100% of nothing? Right. And that's the hardest thing to get through so many organizations. So where the tag team started this pivot was now we're talking to organizations that are coming to us who have started off and did okay, and now they've plateaued. And one guy said, you know, Frank, the world has beat the crap out of me. And I've gone as far as I can get. Yeah. I need I need help. Mm-hmm. Okay. But they came to us early enough in the process that we were able to help them. And then it's a matter of listening to the people that are giving you advice. Like when this book came out, I, I published five books before, self-published. I said, I can figure this out. How hard can it be? So I published five books, great reviews, very few sales. So this time around, I said, all right, I'm going to get a real publisher and I'm going to get a real marketer. And they're telling me, and at first they're saying, let's do it. And I'm thinking, I don't want to do this. And I thought, Frank, stop being a moron. You brought these people on because they know more than you know in this area. Do what they tell you to do until it's proven that it's not successful. So we put this plan in place, and in six hours, the book hits bestseller. And it was, and people were saying, wow, Frank, it's got to be a great book. Nobody had even read the book at that point. It just came out. <laughs> so how do you know it's a good book? It, it is a good book. But it was, book. it was the process. Yeah. And, and bringing in the right people and taking the right advice from the right, or, from the right individuals or organizations that can launch you to where you want to be. Mm-hmm. And it's about getting out of your own way, right? <laughs> about getting out of your own way. And what I'm learning more and more of, and it's taken me a long time to learn this, is l- less force and more allowing right? And you can let go and allow and less force of making things happen and making it work and work, 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 and allowing by having the right people around you to help you who have the expertise, who have your best interest 
right? And your purpose in mind. Um, And then you can allow and let go of the control of everything. And things then just happen so much more easily, I find, right? But it goes back to your first point of asking for what you want. And that leads me to thinking about some limiting beliefs and fears, because one of my biggest blocks is being able to ask for what I want, and right? And, and having the courage to ask for big goals, right? Or to ask for help and support, which goes back to other limiting beliefs around the need to feel accepted, not being judged and all of that. And I know at the first part of your book, you talk about getting past the fear. So where does that come into play with entrepreneurial success, the fears and limiting beliefs? The fears, everything in your life up to that, up to the point you decide you're going to create a business has uh, given you a, a friend of mine calls it unconscious bias. Yes. You know, you now have a profile of who you are. You're an imposter. You're afraid that they're going to figure out you don't know what you're doing. Um, you, you're, you don't know if you've, if you've, you've got what it takes to get to where it needs to be. You don't know who to trust. All these things create tremendous amount of fear and fear is a peril that paralyzes you. Our friend Sarah McVannell talks about it all the time. Fear paralyzes individuals and it either, some people it motivates to take action and move forward and some it just scares to death. And uh, Joseph Campbell, I, mean, I hope I'm, I quote him correctly here, said something to the effect of the, the cave you fear to enter holds the, the treasure that you seek. I so love until you that quote. Face Can you say fears, that again? Can you say that quote again? Here, the, the, the cave you fear to enter holds the, tr- the treasure that you seek. And if you're afraid of everything, and you have to feel it. It's an emotion. You have to feel the fear. And then what's the worst that can happen? Mm-hmm. You know, is the world going to come to an end? What else can I do to get around what's causing me this fear? Is it, if it's an imposter syndrome, go get somebody who knows what you don't know. The first thing I did every time I took over a company was I'd hire a CFO. First thing. I hate doing accounting. I can't stand it. You and me both, Frank. I hate it. I hate it. So I go get somebody who's really good at it. Yeah. And tell them, all right, before we make any final decision, and we're talking about expansion or whatever we're going to do, the last person I'm going to look at in the meeting is at the CFO. Guy's last name was Larry Numata. I love this guy. He was up in Seattle with me. And I look at him and say, what do you think, Larry? And then he would, and he, but, but he was, but they also have to understand that I'm not a bean counter. And I'm not a pencil pusher, that I'm part of the senior management level of the organization. All right. And that what I'm doing is in the best interest of the company, not I'm just doing my job. Mm-hmm. Same thing with human resources. And I hate that term, human resources. I love human capital. Mm-hmm. Okay. Human capital should be what drives, and you do this all the time. This is what drives your organization. This is the kind of culture. These are the kind of people. These are the the characteristics that these people should have that will fit into what it is you're trying to do. And then build upon that, and they will will attract like like people. I mean, I watch the millennials, because I deal a lot of them in Arizona State. And if, if you're good, and you're listening to them, and you're giving them they, they feel heard. 
they will bring in more people than you could possibly imagine to come to your organization. It doesn't matter how much marketing you do. They will bring in like people, right? Consequently, if you are not doing those things, those good people leave. Exactly. And now you're left with the ones that you didn't want. Yep. Yep. People stay when they are connected to something meaningfully meaningful, when they can see and feel and know they're making a meaningful difference, right, to the organization, to those they serve. Um, And when they feel, when they trust their leaders, when they know their leaders have their backs and best interests in mind, right? It's all about culture. It has, it's, it's the biggest competitive advantage. It's not your product, it's your culture. It's your people that are your biggest competitive advantage. So, so Frank, you know, what is your, as we wrap up, what is your biggest hope for our listeners? The biggest hope is number one, believe, believe in yourself that you're not a failure. You're not an imposter and find whatever makes you're passionate about. What is it you truly want to be or would like to do okay Mm -hmm. determine that first all right then once you've determined that then you got to put in the work well what's it going to take to do that all right do i have the skills if i don't have the skills then i gotta go get the skills if i can i go get the skills can i bring the the who in to help me get to where i want to be but until we start living with passion and living the uh, living what we feel passionate about we're going through the motions. Yeah. And there's nothing worse than being a spectator in your life. Be a participant. I love it. Be a participant, a fully engaged participant in your life. Craft, like we say at Waterstone, um, craft the culture you want to create. It, it can, you can let it evolve, right? Mm-hmm. And, and roll the dice and take your chances, or you can intentionally craft it. The same goes with your life. You can roll the dice watch it, you know, like you're watching a movie happening, or you can intentionally craft and create the life of your dreams. And it's a choice. It's not an easy choice every day. It's not, but it's a daily set of intentional choices. So thank you so much, Frank. And, you know, let where, where can people um, find out about the tag team? Tag team, you can go to my website, which is simple. It's just Frank zakari.com and uh, we have a whole thing in there about what it is and how to get to us and the information we're looking for if somebody wants to be considered to become part of the program and uh, we'll get back to you if you send us the information we'll say either it's too early or give you some advice or if you if if you're uh, ready then we'll get involved amazing amazing and you know for those of you who are recognizing that culture must come first and you want some support in in transforming your culture, not just to create a great place to work, but to truly drive the performance of your organization and create a true competitive advantage, then please reach out to me. Please reach out to the team at Waterstone Human Capital. That's what we do. We help CEOs and their leadership teams craft and transform their cultures into ones that drive the performance for their organization. So with that, Frank, thank you so very much. And to the rest of you, 
I wish you the very best in crafting your life and your culture and look forward to our next episode of Leading on Purpose. Please remember to share and like and rate this podcast. The more people who do, the more people who will listen to it and will be able to help. Thank you so much. All the best. Talk to you next week. Thank you for joining us this week. Please tune in again for another edition of Leading on Purpose with your host, Nicole Bendeley on the Voice America Empowerment Channel next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a wonderful week.